Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Ethan and Elaine, they're awesome. They're just amazing people. Another amazing person is in the room that I should mention as well. Um, I just wanted to make it awkward for a minute. That's fine. <laughs> My wife is here, who I love you. Sometime I'm driving down the street, and I'm, I'm like, for real. She'll be driving, and I'll just look at her and be like, man, thank you, Jesus. Like, just randomly, just, she's so amazing. Hey, there was a, um, and then back to Ethan and Elaine. If you don't go to this church... These are some phenomenal pastors, but just people. Like, we've known each other. We've been, we've gone places together. We hung out. We ate. We stayed up until, like, 3 in the morning at IHOP on a regular basis because they didn't want to go to the bar. And good people, man. Good people. <laughs> I didn't want to go either. I just, I had NyQuil one time. That stuff was ridiculous. Hey, we got the, the invitation. I hope you guys are inviting people. There was a graphic earlier of the invitation. Do we have that graphic with the invitation and the two? I text somebody and ask them for it. You got the, yeah, that's so great because it's, it's almost like Ethan and Elaine are fighting over who to invite <laughs> to this picture. I don't know if you see it or not. They're like, hey, I want to know. No, I just, anyway, all right, we'll move on now. I just saw that graphic. That was pretty cool. This. <laughs> they are beautiful. Have you seen those beautiful beige kids? There's one of them right here right now. They are beautiful. Kids are so, oh, none of them look like Elaine. <laughs> so we're going to laugh this morning. Some people think you shouldn't laugh in church. My response to that is always, what good father doesn't want to hear his children's laughter in his house? This is his house. We get to laugh. It's going to be fun. Some of you guys have probably not been to a to church before. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Super excited. Some of y'all just now walking in the door like, ooh, I just, I like to get there after they pass the buckets. They didn't pass no buckets here, which is awesome. They don't even pass them. On your way out, it just naturally swipes your credit card. You don't even know it. As soon as you leave, it's going to be... And then you just... <laughs> we take EBT, too. So whatever we got to take, you just... <laughs> All right, so there's going to be three verses of Scripture that's going to apply to what I'm talking about today. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what these three verses are. And then you can write them down. You don't have to read them now, but later on, they'll pop in a new way as a result of what we talk about today. That's my hopes, to just read them when you get to the crib, to your home, <laughs> to your casa. This is a really diverse audience. I don't know what else I need to do. So Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of them. And then you got John 10, 27. And then 2 Hebrews 4. <laughs> Some of y'all writing that down. I'm concerned. <laughs> there is no second Hebrews. If you have a second Hebrews, take your Bible back to Dollar Tree. <laughs> yeah, they just played you with some stuff. No, no, no. The third one is Revelations 3.20. <laughs> second Hebrews. They're like, ooh, that's a good one. I remember second Hebrews. I used to read. My mama used to read that to me. No, she didn't. She didn't. She, she had some kind of brew, but it wasn't. So I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to share my story with you growing up and going to church. And I, I didn't grow up in church. I just went a couple times. So let me explain what happened. So I'm in 
I'm seven years old. My grandmother would take me to this church. Laughter was illegal. We've already laughed some. In my church, you could not laugh. One time I laughed, this lady was jumping around, and her wig fell off. <laughs> Yo, I cracked up laughing. My grandmother would, then she pinch, and then she twist. You could pinch. You gonna twist? That's the devil right there. <laughs> church was miserable. It was miserable. My shoes were like three sizes too small. So my grandmother, my shoe, my foot didn't fit in there, but then she had this thing called a shoehorn. If you don't know what a shoehorn is, if your foot don't fit, now it do. And my foot is sitting in here with three sizes too small and church lasts six hours. Then we would go in the basement and eat a sandwich and come back up. I'm like, what was that, halftime or something? It was miserable. My clothes were too tight, they didn't fit. Every Sunday, I would wear a white and brown shirt, every Sunday. Actually, it was just white, but the buttons were so tight that the... <laughs> I just thought some, some people in the room could wear a white and white shirt. They wouldn't even know that it's just... <laughs> church was miserable. It was so miserable. One time we went to church, there was a dead body in the front. Nobody explains to a seven-year-old Michael Jr., this is a funeral. It's not church. I'm thinking, that's just something they do. <laughs> Every few weeks or so, they bring a dead body in as an example. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I asked my grandma, I was like, Grandma, what happened to the man in the box? Her entire explanation was, he in a better place. I'm like, what kind of box did he live in before? I didn't know what was going on. The dude on stage was mad at everybody, and I figured he was mad because of the phlegm he was trying to get out of his throat at the end of every sentence. Because it would sound like this. The Lord said, ah. Act like you're, ah. I'm like, Grandma, can he just gargle and we go home or something? It was, and he had a Bible in his hand. He kept playing like he was going to throw it at people. He'd be like, ha, ah, ah, ah. And the people would get afraid. They'd be like, hey, man, hey, man. I realized now they were saying, hey, man. I didn't know. I didn't know I was seven years old. It was so miserable. One time we go to church. Well, actually, one time my grandmother just decided, out of nowhere, I was 14 years old, she said, hey, would you, would you like to go to church? Like, she gave me an option. I was like, let me think this over, Grandma. No. <laughs> so I didn't go to church no more. I was like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go to church. I just hung out with my friends. That's what I did. We just hung out. And we were broke growing up. We ain't had no money. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. <laughs> they found out about our situation. Like, we need to send something. We got, okay, this is my... <laughs> We didn't have no money. And when you're 14 years old, you want to be, let's be honest, you're not going to church, you don't know nothing about God. As a young man, as a little boy, you want to feel like a man. So as soon as we leave the house, first thing we would do is start cursing. That's what we would do, just cussing. But then me and a friend made a deal that we wouldn't curse anymore. This was a deal we made out of nowhere. We said we wanted to expand our vocabulary. The truth is, we just wanted to be violent. So this was a deal. If he heard me curse, I'd have to stand there like this, and he could hit me in the chest as hard as he wanted to. And then vice versa. And dude could hit really hard. So I stopped cursing immediately. <laughs> we played other games, too, and then turned them into violent games. Remember the game Slug Bug? If you're from the East Coast, they call it Punch Bug. Here's how the game works. If you see a Volkswagen bug, you get to hit your friend. Those are all the instructions. <laughs> Me and my friends would take this game a little too far. You ever play Uppercut Fire Truck? <laughs> what about Minivan Body Slam? You ever play that one? 
It was one dude in our group who would just make up games with no warning, like hit you in the throat tall building. <laughs> you play too much, man. That's my esophagus. <laughs> I also noticed around this age that I was struggling with my reading. Now, I knew it before this, before the age of 14, but now I'm noticing girls. And I don't want the girls thinking something's wrong with me, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out this reading thing. And it just didn't work for me. I couldn't sound words out phonetically. It just didn't work for me. I read fine now, by the way. Don't be concerned. Like the signs over the door that say excite. I can read that stuff. <laughs> but I used to struggle with my reading. I'd have to look at the words differently. I would look at the font size, the color, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people responded to it. I actually came up with like seven different ways to look at a word to determine what that word was. Then I got really good at it. To the point in high school, people didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. Now, as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place that I pull my comedy from. So that very thing from my past that looked like it was a handicap, it seemed as if I was dealt a bad hand. God didn't cause it, but he's used it in preparation for what he has me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing even though I didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this again so you can hear what I'm saying. That things from your past, the fact that you never met your dad before, your mom was an alcoholic, you were molested as a child, God did not cause that, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. Chances are you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing, but for a lot of you guys, you've been practicing, and it's game time. It's time to say, put me in, coach. So now, as a result of my practice, I find comedy everywhere because of the way I think. Like, I've been preparing. I don't even know it. I'm just, like, random people ask questions. Like, you get this question sometimes. People say stuff like, uh, they'll say, Michael Jr., where are you from originally? I'm like, originally? Huh. Well, I was conceived in Michigan. Uh, before that, I was with my dad. Uh, and, uh, and then there's a swim competition. And, um... And I won, because I was the fastest. So, pretty fast, man. Jokes will just pop into my head, like this next one. Like, if I don't see something funny, I'll just make it up. Like, just this thing right here. I met a family from Africa who came to America to adopt a white kid. Her name was Emily. Uh, they changed it to Umute. And, uh, and they don't know how to do her hair. It's crazy, man. <laughs> you can't laugh and shake your head like, mm -hmm. <laughs> So as a result of what I thought was holding me back, it's, it, I've actually been able to use this in a really cool way to do what God is calling me to do. 26 years old, I hope you're tracking. We went from 7, 14, 26 years old, I moved to New York City because I'm doing comedy now, and I want to know if I'm funny. And in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. <laughs> in fact, I remember being in, uh, on Rhode Island. I did a show in Rhode Island. And this lady said to me, uh, <laughs> this was, I figured out at the end this was a compliment. But she said, uh, you know, I don't like black comedians. You okay? And she walked off. <laughs> I was like, I guess, let me just do the math. I don't know if I need to call Al Sharpton. I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. <laughs> So there's this comedy club in New York City called the Comic Strip Live. It is an extremely 
hard club to get into. All the clubs are hard to get into because there's so many comedians trying to get into these clubs. But the Comic Strip Live was especially hard. They would have an open mic on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Comedians like myself who are new in town would start lining up at 6 o'clock in the morning in hopes that they can do 90 seconds in front of the manager. And if he likes them, he'll call them back the next month. Very hard to get in this club. It's finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live, and right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. He's very established as a comedian. So when he walks in, whoever ne whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next. I know I'm about to get bumped. Manager's making his way over to me. I know I'm about to get bumped. But no, this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. The manager says to me, hey, Michael, listen, George Wallace is here. Would you like to go on before him or after him? That never happens. You never get an option. I was like, before him, please. <laughs> so I'm going before George Wallace, and I got New Yorkers laughing. But not only are they laughing, he comes in the room, and he's laughing as well. Then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians all around him asking him questions. He leaves them, and he walks over to me. And he says to me, you know, you're really funny. I was like, wow, thanks, man. Then he said, uh, let me ask you a question. He was like, why don't you curse? I was like, uh, I don't know if my grandmother walk in. <laughs> my grandmother was not coming to New York, and she wasn't coming to a comedy club. What else, what else was I going to say? My friend might hit me in the chest. I'm a grown man. <laughs> so he laughed, and he said, you know what? You're funny and you're clean. I'd like for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I was pumped. I'm excited. I didn't even know who his best friend was. I get to the show, it's me, George Wallace, Jerry Seinfeld. Yo, I did two shows, got two standing ovations. I rip. I'm the man. I'm like, yeah. Let me pause for a second. By the way, at the same time, I can't get into the detail now. This, while this is happening, I'm actually living in my car homeless. But nobody knew it. I was just in my car. People would ask me where I live. I'm like, I live at 1997 Lumina Drive. That was my. <laughs> So I get two standing ovations. After the show, the club manager approaches me, and he says, Michael, you got a great set. Let me ask you a question. He was like, hey, would you, uh, would you like to go to church with me tomorrow? I was like, church? Man, back up. You're making my feet hurt. I don't want to go to church. <laughs> so I kindly told him no. Now, let me pause for a second. I'm going to pause on the story real quick, and I'm going to give you a little side nugget. So we're pausing right here. So when he said this to me, in a retrospect, I actually had the thought, back up, you're making my feet hurt. I literally had that thought. Now I'm more conscious of it, but I want to kind of break down to you what was going on there. He invites me to church. My first thought, first feeling is, no, you're making my feet hurt. Why? Because when I went to church, my shoes were so tight. It was so uncomfortable at church. So I had built up a negative neural association that the enemy was using to keep me out of church. So for me, church meant pain. As soon as someone said church, they talk about the Bible, they talk about God, it meant pain and discomfort. If you were here last night, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. So immediately, I had a discomfort in my feet that I couldn't really detect. I just assumed it was them. It was those people. It was church. It was God. Back up. I'm cool. But as soon as I got some understanding around it, I was able to remove that negative neuroassociation and have true freedom so I could then say yes about whatever God wanted me to say. So let's jump back into the story. By the way, well, let me just, okay, let me go back here. 
you have probably some ne negative neural associations attached to God. Some people do in a big way. Some of, them, some of you guys, that's what kept you from coming to God for so long. Some of you right now, it's your first time in church, like, nah, them people weird, they're creepy, your aunt was tripping, your uncle was a pastor, and that dude was doing some weird stuff. That is them. That is horizontal. That's them. They don't got nothing to do with him. If you go, if you go to a restaurant, let's say the restaurant is called KK's Hamburger, and you have a bad hamburger, you may let's say the hamburger was horrible. You may never go back to that restaurant, but you're not gonna stop eating hamburgers. You're just not going back to that spot. But you could give them another try. It might have just been a bad day. Anyway, so I'm back in the story, right? So now, now I'm at the place where. Wait, where was I at in this story? What'd you say? You got to be more confident. Yes, he asked me to go to church. There's only two reasons you do anything in life. Only two reasons. There's only two reasons you do anything in life. The reason she answered the question for me right now is one of these two reasons. To avoid pain or to gain pleasure. If I would have kept not knowing where I was just now, it would have been painful for her, so she had to jump up and say something. Or it would, it would have been uncomfortable. Or she just wanted to be seen, so now she gets some pleasure. And hey, everybody, I was right. <laughs> There's only two reasons. Do the math on anything, you, any choice you ever make. It's one of these two reasons. Avoid pain or gain pleasure. So I said, no, I don't want to go to church. 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question. But she was fine. <laughs> beautiful. I'm talking about beautiful. She pales in comparison to my wife. My wife is, but I didn't have a wife back then. I didn't have a wife, and she asked me to, she had a, some sort of accent, too. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so I go to the church for the wrong reasons. I can't even find these people. And I'm sitting in the back, and this dude comes out on stage, and he's talking about Jesus. That's it. He's just talking. He's not screaming. He's not yelling. He don't got no perm. He's just talking <laughs> about Jesus. He don't got no towel. He's not sweating. And, ah, nothing. He's just explaining God's word just like Ethan and Elaine do. Just explaining it in a way where I could consume it. And then he did this thing where he did an altar call. And he said, if you want Jesus in your life, you just raise your hand and do the, stand up and do this prayer. And I was like, yo, I really wanted to. But I was like, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. Because I knew a couple Christians, and they was creepy. It is some creepy Christians out there. If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. Yeah, yeah. Your friends know one. Or should I say your friend knows one? <laughs> or your mom, whoever your friend is. So I was like, no, nah, I can't. I just, I got to read the Bible. I don't know. So I told myself how to read the Bible before I gave my life to Jesus. You don't have to do this. I just didn't know the rules. So I was like, I need to read. And I didn't even have a Bible. Then some lady just hands me a Bible. So I started reading the Bible. the Bible. I read the copyrights first. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> Me too. That's crazy. We never met before. I don't even know where you came from. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm going to church. Now I really want to get my life over to Jesus because the message is so awesome, just like what they do. It's an amazing message, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. So I'm reading the Bible, going to church. I got to the part about the job. I'm like, no wonder I don't want one of these. That's crazy, man. <laughs> so I keep reading. I keep reading. I got to the part in Matthew where it said, Jesus died for me. I didn't even know. I did not. I'm 27 years old at this point. I didn't know Jesus died for me. 
until I read it right there in Matthew. I didn't know. Then I turned to Mark, and he died again. <laughs> then in Luke, I got to John. I was like, why are you going back in the garden, Jesus? You know what's going to happen. <laughs> Listen, I wish that was some comedy I wrote. I really thought he died four times. <laughs> I remember finishing reading the Bible. It took me 36 days to read the Bible. I remember finished reading, and I went to church, and I asked the dude, I was like, hey, can I give my life over to Jesus now? It was like during the announcements. So I was like, I just, I'm ready. And now I understand some stuff. I used to just think I was funny. Now I understand I'm funny for a reason. There's a purpose for this talent, this understanding, even the setbacks, like God can use all of it. And I get celebrities, some that you would know who ask me questions about God. You know, ask me a question like, explain God to me. I'm like, wait, I can't, if I could just explain God, he wouldn't be God. Then they say, well, how is it I can do all of these things I'm doing? And people still say that Jesus wants a relationship with me. And he was doing a bunch, a bunch of stuff. And this is all I could come up with at the time. And it doesn't explain how, to a degree, any degree, how awesome God really is, but it's all I could come up with at the time. I was like, you ever been in a car with a navigation device before? You, you ever been in a car before? We can start there. You guys ever been in a car before? <laughs> so it's like being in a car with a navigation device. This is what, what God is like with regards to the relationship. If it says go 10 blocks and turn left, then you go two blocks and bust a right. It doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you need to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. The only problem is if you keep making the wrong turns, the road conditions will be different. They may be rougher, and you're running out of time. So you have to be sensitive to listen to that voice so you can make the right choice about where you're supposed to be, and that voice sounds an awful lot like a coach because you haven't been practicing for nothing. It's game time. So now I'm at the point, because I was talking earlier, I got a little sidetracked. I got to choose a story. I don't have time for both. Tiffany, right? I met earlier. Samantha, you changed your name. Great. Uh, <laughs> you sure? You didn't say t he? Okay, Samantha. That's what I said, Tabitha. <laughs> Tiffany, Tabitha, let's be real. Neither one of them names is black. So that's what threw me off. That's what threw me, that part threw me off. It's just like, there ain't no... I couldn't go black Tabitha. I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Anyway, um, <laughs> that was only for a few. So, Tabitha, I got time for one of two stories. First time on The Tonight Show or first time going to prison. You got to choose. Which one? Prison. Why you take his... You, he said prison and you said prison. No, no, no. Anyway, first time on The Tonight Show. So here's what happened. If I got time for the prison story, I will, but I don't know if I had time. Prison, basically, I went to, I have a nonprofit called Funny for the Forgotten. And, um, oh, this story's in my book. I don't have to do the prison story. I'm gonna do the Tonight Show story. I just realized that. All right, so, I'm living in New York still. I'm, I'm living in my car. I'm, I don't have, like, I'm rationaling meatball subs. Like, things are not good at all. So I decided I need to move, so I moved, because it's too expensive in New York. So I moved to California. Oh. Um, <laughs> My cousin had a couch he said I could stay on in California for free. All I had to do was get there. So when I get to California, there's a comedy club there that is, I've heard of this club before, but I've never seen it. It's called the Comedy and Magic Club. This club is so prestigious. Once I'm in California, I can't even get inside the club. One, I couldn't afford a ticket. 
Two, nobody knew who I was. But George Wallace called me up, and he said, hey, do you want to go to the Comedy Magic Club? I was like, yes. So he takes me to the club. He can't get me on stage. He can only get me inside the club. So then after the show, he takes me into the green room. Now there's some, I'm in the green room with some soldiers in comedy. It's, it's George Wallace, Gary Shanley, Jay Leno, and then I'm sitting there nibbling on fries looking at these dudes. And the reason I was only nibbling on fries, even though they had this big spread of food, they had a huge spread of food, but I didn't feel like I contributed anything. I didn't feel like I belonged there, so I'm just nibbling on fries. And at the time, they were working on a joke. You may remember a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was suing the league for $400 million because he lost his vision in one eye. Now, all of these guys are helping Leno on that subject for the monologue on The Tonight Show. I ain't saying nothing. I'm just nibbling on a french fry. But your gifts will make room for you. So they're working on a joke, then they got quiet, and they looked at me, and I was like, oh, snap. Uh, this is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag, he lost his vision in one eye, and he's suing the league for $400 million. Um, he not gonna see half of it. <laughs> then I grabbed a piece of chicken. I was like, oh, this chicken, man. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? The truth is, it wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading and other things as well. I was practicing just like you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing, but I'm here to let you know you've been practicing. And for a lot of you guys, it is game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So me and my wife were looking at some old home videos not too long ago. It wasn't super old. It wasn't like a VHS or whatever. Um, the young people were like, what's of a hush? It's not. I'll let your mom explain. She can explain that and a joke about me swimming when I was a kid, so. So I'm about to show you a video clip. This video, this is a video of our youngest daughter being born, not her being born, but it's a video of... <laughs> so let me set the video up. Me and my wife, I took the video. The video you're about to watch, I am the camera person in this video, but I didn't understand the power of it until I sat down like you're about to do and just watched the video. So let me set it up for you. At the time, our daughter is like two and a half minutes old, and uh, they got her under the little, the little chicken warmer, the little thing, the, <laughs> the little french fry warmer. I don't know what kind of insurance we have, but they got her under that little thing. <laughs> And the nurse is about to clean her up, and she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. It's okay, for it. Look, I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay, baby. Yo, that was pretty doggone powerful. Now, it's like maybe seven, seven and a half minutes or so later, the nurse is done cleaning her up and she starts to cry again. I speak up and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her. Portland, Portland, it's okay. It's okay. 
Okay, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm right here, I'm right here. I am right here. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, I'm right here, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. So listen, there's going to be times in life, and maybe for some of you right now, where it feels like you've just been practicing and practicing and practicing. And maybe it's getting really, really frustrating, even to the point of tears. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he's right here. He loves you. All you have to do is open your eyes. You hear some music? <laughs> yeah, not yet, man. Not yet. You're early. You're early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are getting us emotional right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Lord, is that you? No. No. It's that dude right there. It's him. It's him. I need you to... I got one more story I need to tell. So, I'm like, oh, Lord, this is so, this is like music, because it is, because it is music. So here's what's going to happen. I have one more story I want to tell, but first I want to tell you how I came up with the story. And after I tell you how I came up with the story, then that dude is supposed to slide in right there. So this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. And the way I came up with this story is I was just doing what I do. I was... I was writing a joke, and I, I was writing a joke about the good room. How many people here know what the, the good room is? Raise your hand. See, there's very few hands going up, maybe like two hands or so going up. The truth is, is mostly all of you know what the good room is. The good room is that room in your grandmother's house, or maybe your aunt's house, or maybe your house. It's that one room that's better than the rest of the house. Can't nobody go in there. It's plastic on the furniture. In the summertime, if you sit on it anyway, you're going to get stuck. Like... <laughs> How many people know what the good room is now? Raise your hand. Exactly. So I'm writing this joke about the good room, and in the middle of writing this joke, I hope you're watching and listening online as well, in the middle of writing this joke, God stops me and tells me to tell this story to his people instead. Now would be a great time to slide in. Man, you just, yeah, he's early and late. That's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know how he pulled that off. That is amazing. Right, Tina? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Tina Fitch more. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> so we're in the midst of what's going to be a life-changing moment for some people in the room, and we're laughing. God is different than you think. So this is the story God showed me to put together. So I want everyone in here, I want you to imagine... Imagine, this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. So imagine, I want you to imagine that you are a house. And outside of the house is Jesus Christ. And he wants to come in. But he'll never force his way in. Other people may have tried to force him in your house. But that's not how he does. He wants you to invite him in. And the reason some people in this room, the reason you haven't invited Jesus into the house is because you're cool with the way things are right now. So it would seem. Whenever you need something, whenever something happens or something goes wrong, you walk up to the door, crack it open, tell them what happened, say a little prayer, then close the door and go back into the house. But that's not a relationship at all. How can you hear his voice under those circumstances? How can you utilize the practice under those circumstances? 
And the reason you won't let them into the house is because your house is a mess. Or you think you need to clean it up just a little more first. How's that working out for you? There might be drugs, pornography, alcohol all in the house. And you're trying to get it right. Or relationships. You brought another person in the house. You invited somebody else into your heart, hoping that maybe somehow they could make it better. Somehow they could clean up the house, but they can't. The only one who can clean the house is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand, waiting on you to truly open the door. Then there's other people in here right now who used to have Jesus in the whole house. But whether you realize it or not, you've just moved him to just one room in the house, the good room. Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not. It's just that one room. So when they hear about you coming to church, they think the whole house is clean. But you know it's really not. It's just that one room. You give money, but it's just that one room. You read the Bible, but it's just that one room. You quote scripture. You got scripture tattooed on your body. It's just that one room. Jesus wants access to the whole house. And I'm telling you, if you would just open this door and let him in, he'll show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit. And they will make sure the house is functioning the way it was intended to. But none of this happens if you don't open the door because he will not. He will never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. So if everyone in here, if you could just close your eyes and bow your head. If you're in here right now and you know that this is for you and that you need to invite Jesus into your house, whether it be for the first time or to give him full access to the house, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. On the count of three, I just simply want you to put your hand in the air. Don't overthink this, but if you need to invite Jesus into your house for the first time or to give him full access, on the count of three, just simply put your hand in the air. Hands are already going up. One, two, three. Nice and high. Nice and high. Praise God. Okay. Go ahead and put your head down and then look up at me. First of all, let me say this. I am proud of you. Now listen, I'm going to repeat that phrase. The number of times I think I need to repeat it so some people in here can receive it because there's a few people in this room who have never received that phrase from a father's voice. So I'm going to repeat that phrase, and I want you to simply work to receive it from a father's voice. I am proud of you. This is not just for the people who raised their hand. I am proud of you. 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 This is for everyone who raised their hand and even those who should have raised their hand. Jesus says, if you will take a stand for me before man, I will take a stand for you before my Father in heaven. 
So that's going to look like right here on earth, right here at Gateway. Is everyone who raised their hand, even those who should have raised their hand, on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet and remain standing so we can pray together. This is going to be, this is very important. Again, because if you can't do it in here where we're proud of you, you won't be able to do it out there. So what this is going to look like is on the count of three, everyone who raised their hand, even those who should have raised their hand, you're going to stand to your feet, and the people around you, they're going to applaud as loud as they can. But it will not compare to the applause that the angels in heaven will be doing when you stand to your feet and remain standing. One, two, three. Just stand up. God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If you're standing up, don't clap. Just receive the applause of the people around you. Just receive the applause of the people around you. Okay. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. This is me talking now. I'm proud of you. This like, I am very, very proud. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're gonna keep standing, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. It's very important that you continue to stand. I know the tendency is to sit down when the applause of men stop. This is not a horizontal thing. This is vertical. It's not about them. It's about him. So we're going to do this prayer. I'll pray, and then you just repeat this prayer in the privacy of your heart. And then I'm going to give you some weird instructions afterwards. There's some Kool-Aid and some snakes in the back. <laughs> That's not true at all, not even a little bit. I mean, I, actually, I don't, Ethan has changed a little bit, so I'm just playing. So I want you to repeat this prayer in the privacy of your heart, and then I'm going to give you some more instructions. If you're sitting down, by the way, and you should be standing, you're sitting down. You, you know who you are. You should be standing. Do not let the enemy keep you from this moment. This changes what happens in your family from this point forth. This changes what takes place in your house from this point forth. This changes what you do at your job from this point forth. This changes who your children will marry from this point forth. This changes everything. So if, you, if you're sitting there's a few people in here. If you're sitting and you should be standing, your kids and your kids' kids and their kids and their kids need you to make the right decision now. Praise God. All right, so... Yo, that was pretty powerful. That was just a little moment I had, but I, could, I felt like your, one of your kids started swimming just now. I was like, I could do it, I could do it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, okay. So repeat after me in the privacy of your heart. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for me. I thank you that he rose again on the third day. I believe it and I receive it. Come into my house. Come into my heart and have your way. Show me your way. I just trust you, God. Show me how to continue to trust you. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know who I'm pursuing. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so I'm gonna give you some quick instructions. Then we're gonna dip, and then a dude who looks like me, not as attractive, is gonna come up here and say some stuff. I'm just playing. I don't even know if you come. Are you coming up, Ethan? No. So maybe not. And there's no other black people up here, is there? Oh, but uh, no. So anyway, this is fine. It's me. Then. Anyway, so this is for the people who are standing up right now. Normally we come to church, we come in, we sit down, we get up, and we leave. I want you to break the pattern of what you've always done because of the decision that you just made. I just, and I, you can do anything. You can just sit in your chair a little longer. You can go introduce yourself to somebody you never met before. You can just sit in the, in the lobby. Just do something different than what you've always done so you can get something different than what you've always got. One thing I love to tell people to do is when we dismiss and everyone else is going that way, there are gonna be prayer people up front and you could come this way. Because when you leave this place, most of the people are going to be going that way. And God will be calling you to go in another direction. So this could actually be practice for what God has for you to do. You could actually simulate this now and, be, and people are gonna be, they're gonna be bumping you and stuff and y'all be, be, be rough with them too, it's fine. Just like, and they're gonna make their way up and you get here because God has some place for you to do when you get out there. I love you, I love you, I love you. I'll see you outside, I'll be signing stuff. I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you guys. They're gonna do another song, apparently. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.